0: I praise God I believe those things. I praise, praise God for the Holy Spirit and the new life that is in Jesus Christ. You can be seated if you have your Bibles. I want you to take them and turn back with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter number 13. Last week, we began just a look at a parable of the Lord Jesus. A parable of the barren tree. And uh, last week, we spent a lot of time looking at, first of all, the origins of this parable. How did it come about? We saw that this parable was elicited from Jesus because of what some people have said. And we'll read that in here in a moment. And then we also, we took a, a, a stern look at the, at the owner and the threat to chop down the tree. And I... I, I you know, pastors are no different than other people. Uh, I, I, I had to kind of probe my wife to see if I couldn't get out of her some kind of response from, uh, you know, from how, to, you know, how, how, how was the message, you know, this and that. And and she had said something that, uh, I, well, I was asking her if I was a little harsh, and she said, well, you were a little bit different than you usually are in, in what you said. And I, if I came across harsh last week, it's because the threat... Uh, this passage is real. It, it's been real to my heart, and and I don't want to be overly critical of anyone here. And I'm not I'm not pointing guns at you per se. I if I do, I'm pointing them back at myself as well. This is a genuine threat that Jesus uh, shows us in this that the the owner could come down and take down this fruitless tree, this tree that had not borne. The fruit that God is seeking, that God desires, that God deserves from our lives. But I left off last week with a glimmer of hope, right? I said that Jesus intervenes and He says, oh Lord, give it another year. Don't cut it down yet. And so that's what we're going to look at the latter part of this. But let's pick up reading at Luke 13, verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 9. Uh, it starts out here in verse number one. There, there were present at this season uh, some that told him, many Jesus, of the Galileans, whose, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now quick summary. This person came in was talking about these people that were killed suddenly. Jesus knows the heart. He knows where this come from. And evidently this person had the thought that their sin was less that they were in better standing before God than those people who were cut down in the worship of God in the Galileans. And then also Jesus follows with the story. Do you think your sin is greater because these, upon this evidently this accident that took place, the tide of Siloam fell and uh, killed these 18 people? And Jesus said, do you think your sin is less because that didn't happen to you? So what he's calling for is hard inspection. He's saying, don't be so preoccupied with what you see on the outside. As you judge the world around you, you take that, that sight, and we went into this further about, about introspection in the previous chapter. I'm not going to preach last week's message as much as I'm tempted to. But he says, take that same uh, inside into what you see and point it inward. Except ye repent. The same's going to happen to you. Then he goes on and give a parable. And this has been our whole point. This is what we've been focusing on. He said that also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I've come seeking fruit on this tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? That's what we spent our time last week upon. The judgment of the owner. Don't let it it continue to soak up nutrients and take it away from the vineyard. Don't let it sit here and provide no fruit. It's not fulfilling its purpose. Cut it down. Don't have it around here anymore. But we stop short of verse number 8. That's what we'll pick up today. Listen to this. He and he, he's talking about the dresser, the vine dresser. The one that's there every day working among the vines. Not the owner, but the vine dresser. And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also. Till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after thou shalt cut it down. The barren, what to see in a barren tree. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help me to communicate what Your Word says. We pray that You'll give us insight by the Holy Spirit. Only He can make proper application. Only He can speak to the heart. I can't. So God, I pray that You would use the Word of God by the Holy Spirit to speak to every heart in this room. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word flashpoint is a word that is primarily used in the world of chemistry. It's actually the chemical meaning is that a liquid, a combustible liquid, is produced sufficient vapor near its surface to generate an ignitable mixture with the air. Now that don't mean a lot to us, but it also has a, a, a meaning in our conversation. It, it is a term used to describe a critical moment in which violence breaks out. A flashpoint. Years ago, me and Carrie, I love cop shows. Blue Bloods, man, that's the show, man. I love cop shows. And uh, and so this cop show we watched called, it was called Flashpoint. And it was about this special unit that dealt with like bombing situations and standoffs, and and uh, and what they would do, the way they would start out the show is they would show the flashpoint. The moment in which the bad guy pulled his gun and started the fire. That's the flashpoint. That's the moment violence broke out. But they would stop just short, and then at the beginning of the show, they would rewind it and flash through all the scenes of the show and bring you to where the day started. Take you back to the first steps. And in doing that, it would show you kind of what quickly, what led up to the flashpoint. Well, in our scene today, we left off right on the knife's edge of the flashpoint. The owner had called for the axe to be laid down to the tree. So now let's rewind. Take it back to the beginning. Imagine, if you will, the owner, he comes out on a glorious morning and he walks down to his his well-fertile vineyard it's so prized it's so productive it gives so much fruit year after year and he goes down to visit and as he enters he sees row after row of these vines heavy with clusters of luscious grapes that are glistening in the morning dew looks at it oh he's so pleased with it there at the end of the garden down at the bottom of the hill he sees the fig tree that he planted so many years ago ah oh, I'm going to go down there and, and uh, go underneath the shade tree. So he goes down to the fig tree and he approaches and, oh my, I can't believe it. I planted this tree not three years ago and look at it. It's not unto 20 feet tall. Long branches and bright green leaves. I, it's just such a healthy looking tree. And as he approaches, he he takes his hand and he, Reaches into the branches and his hand disappears behind the leaves and his, his fingers begin to clasp on nothing. He lifts branches and, and leaves all around the bottom of the tree to find no fruit on the tree at all. No fruit. He angrily calls the, wine, the vine dresser and declares his judgment that we've read In verse number 7, and while he is on the knife's edge, the flashpoint of violence at chopping down the tree, there is a calming plea from the vine dresser that quenches the anger of the owner. Lord, let it alone this year also. Remember, this scene that Jesus paints for us is a parable. It's a teaching story to emphasize a point in the conversation that He just made. Jesus had addressed the statement made by the listener in verse number 1 about the worshipers that were killed. And and Jesus, knowing their heart, he, he, He firmly responds to them that except they're making the wrong presumption, and except they repent, that unless they repent, that this that his own sin will call for a very similar destruction upon him. Jesus further emphasizes the point by exampling the tower that fell and killed the 18 people. Was this seemingly random accident a result of their sinful condition? He doesn't say it. It might well be. But Jesus' point is to look at yourself. Look upon your own heart. He, He turns it Inwardly, and tells them to repent of their own sin, unless the same fall befall them. I believe the point Jesus is making in both his elaboration on what he just said and the parable itself is that until we bear fruit worthy of repentance. Until Israel embraces Jesus as their Messiah that is standing before them. Until lost humanity as a whole realizes their sin and repents and embrace the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Until the lukewarm Christian awakens from their fruitless state and repent, we are living on borrowed time. Borrowed time. You know what I mean by borrowed time, right? An unexpected extension of time. You say, for example, if a person gets a disease, all the scientific studies and the medical journals on that disease says that once a person contracts that, that they only have about three to five years to live. And yet, although sickly and ever weakening day by day this particular individual has lived six and a half years wouldn't we all say that they're living on borrowed time time is of the essence for them they they, they should not be here they should not yet be alive that's what we say is living on borrowed time well in our parable what is the source of our extension of time Why has not the sword of God's judgment and justice run us through with righteous indignation? Why has not the towering weight of God's holiness and hatred of sin not fallen upon us and crushed us into eternity? Listen to the lips of the dresser. Let it alone, Lord. Postpone. Hold back. We can see clearly that it is the merciful and gracious intercession of the Lord Jesus. This morning, I want us to look at the final three descriptions. I, I said it was four points last week. It grew to five. Sorry, that's what happens when you go from one week to it, just grows. We're going to look at three descriptions this week and ask you once again to take hard inspection. To stop looking and making judgments around you and take the Word of God and our own perception and look at our own hearts as Jesus is calling us to do. Number one, I want you to notice first of all the pleading overseer. The pleading overseer. He said in verse number 8, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. The determination of the owner was to end the fruitless tree but it was diffused by the tender voice of the dresser. But in saying this, we must take care not to glean meanings out of the text that simply are not supported by the whole counsel of God's Word. Parables are powerful. They are greatly used to to convey truth and teachings, but they do have their limitations. We can't make everything about a parable mean something. You see, in just a rough uh, reading of this text, we might could come away with the idea that the owner, God, is constantly filled with wrath and indignation and, and filled with judgment and that the that the vine dresser himself is just filled with compassion and long-suffering and love, and that these two, at odd, Jesus and the Father, are somewhat at odds as to what to do with Israel, what to do with the lost sinner, what to do with the, the church that has lost its first love, what to do with the believing Christian that has backslidden. But that's not the case. God the Father and God the Son are not at odds with each other. Both of which are filled with equal parts of compassion and love for the people of Israel and Jerusalem. And both are filled with indignation and anger at the fruitlessness of the nation. But what what this parable does display is that intercessory role of the Lord Jesus. He is, after all, our high priest. John says that he is our advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is our high priest as well. A high priest was one who stands before God and intercedes on the behalf of the people of the Old Testament eye of the temple that teaches us how that the high priest would first offer sacrifice for himself, his own sin, his own family, Then he would offer sacrifice for the people and present it to God and pray his staying hand of be held back of, of judgment upon his people. He would pray that he would forbear. He would pray that he would forgive Sin, that's what that Passover is every year. The the sins of the people, the day of atonement would be rolled over and rolled over unto the next. That's a high priestly role. He intercedes on the behalf of the people. But what this parable does not, uh, what it does is like the the epistle to the Hebrews is littered with references of Jesus being the high priest. I'll give you a sampling. Hebrews 3.1 Wherefore, holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4.14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Jesus is that one that goes before the Father, and although God the Father and God the Son, they burst with love for humanity. Both the Israeli Jewish people, Jewish and Gentile. And yet Jesus intercedes to God. The high priest is the one that appeals to God, the Father, to spare and to forgive the people. He intercedes on their behalf. Listen to Hebrews 7.25-27. Wherefore, talking about Jesus, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sin and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself." Jesus is a high priest like the high priest of the Old Testament but Jesus is not like the priest of the Old Testament. He needeth not sacrifice for his own sin because he himself was the sacrifice for our sin, the spotless Lamb of God. So here in this parable is Jesus pleading uh, uh, to, uh, to prolong his judgment upon the fruitless people. Jesus did this even at the bitter end of His life. Remember when Jesus was being crucified on the cross, I believe it's Luke's Gospel that details this, how that Jesus cried to the Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The tense of this phrase indicated that Jesus prayed this again and again and again. Here is Jesus being nailed to the cross. I'm convinced that had not Jesus prayed this prayer in the sight uh, the, the prayer, the sight of his only begotten son being crucified on the cross unjustly, would have caused the wrath of God to envelop the world in fiery judgment. The winds of his fury would have laid to waste all of humanity had not Jesus, as he as he dying on the cross, maligned and naked and and despised and spat upon and. Brow pierced and hand nailed cries, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. And God the Father stayed His hand. I will talk about this much later, but in the events of the book of Acts, they take place from around 29 A.D. to around 60 A.D. In 70 A.D. the, the, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the Jewish nation as a whole was failed by God through the Roman hand of Titus. He crushed the city of Jerusalem. The city was sacked, the temple was toppled, and the blood of thousands of Jews ran in the streets. 40 years. 40 years of God's of of Christ pleading. 40 years of intercession, 40 years of forbearance. Forty years of patiently waiting for the fruit of the gospel to take root to the Jewish nation. And what do we find? It was toppled. The axe was laid to the root and it never has been the same. Just a few days ago I was talking to Carrie about how, how God takes the things that I studied, that I listened to and somehow lines them up. I was listening to D. Martin Lloyd Jones the other day preach through Romans nine twenty two. If you know anything about Romans, Romans nine twenty two is one. Or Romans nine is one of the most confusing and uh, and and difficult uh, reasonings to follow. And he is laying it out fact by fact as he preaches it. But he comes to Romans nine twenty two, and my heart nearly exploded. Listen to what he says: What if God willing to show His wrath? And to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Did you hear what he said? God's power and God's uh, greatness is witnessed in the fact that he forbears forbears the atheist, forbears the blasphemer, forbears the wicked and vile pedophile, forbears the robber, the thief, forbears the liar, and does not cut them down in righteous indignation. Those vessels of wrath that are fitted for destruction, that curse His name, profane His image, trample His law, and hate His holiness, He mercifully allows to live and breathe on planet earth. What compassion! What long-suffering, what endurance God shows even to this hour. Now, to apply this to the church and to the heart of the believers, hey, you're still here. Everybody check your pulse. Make sure if anybody, any dead people in here, we want you out. You still got a, pus, a, a, a pulse in your veins? You know what that means? is that you've not been failed. God has not yet taken the axe to the root of your life. You and I are fruitless. Uh, uh, you and I, as fruitless as we may be sitting here this morning, may be living on borrowed time, Maybe at the end of His divine patience, and yet we sit here with a space to repent. He graciously says, one more year. Give them a little bit longer. Give them a little bit more time. As great a disappointment as we have been to God, yet here we are with Christ whispering to the Father, Lord, give them more time. Lord, let me dig about them. Lord, let me me nourish them. Let me fertilize them. Lord, hold back your judgment. Lord, stay your hand. Give them another season. Give them another moment. That leads me to the next description. Not only the pleading of the overseer, but the plan offered. So this, this, this overseer, this wine, vine dresser, he has a plan to help this tree bear fruit. He offers a plan of extra care. And concentrated effort to be given the tree in order that it might be pr- produce fruit and not be cut down. This offer goes beyond. Listen, this is beyond the protective walls of the the vineyard. This is beyond just the watchful eye of the overseer. This is beyond the irrigated and lush soil that finds its way down to the tree. No, this is extra. This overseer goes above and beyond to dig about it and place effort into it and to dung it, or to put fertilizer around it. I I have a precious book that was given me by a pastor uh, called "The Land in the Book," and it's filled with uh, it's filled with uh, applications of life there in Israel. And uh, W. M. Thompson wrote it. He he wrote this uh, after his several year journey through the Holy Land, and he applied many of the customs and manners and customs of the Bible and he was actually writing about this passage of Scripture. He put these in a book in 1888 and published them called The Land in the Book. The book has the account of a fig tree that he was told by the inhabitants that these trees are likely to produce little or no fruit if the roots of the tree are not digged about, freeing up the soil. And removing rocks that impede the root's growth. These trees are likely not to produce because they get bound up in the soil. They get blocked by roots. And that's exactly what Jesus purposes to to do. To ensure the tree has every opportunity to produce fruit. We see the digging about of God for the Jewish nation in the book of Acts. The freeing up of the root system of the revelation of God concerning the promised Messiah. Remember, I'm trying to tell you the interpretation of this, not necessarily the application right now. The interpretation, the Jews are the fruitless tree. The interpretation, there's coming judgment. The interpretation, that God, will, the Holy Spirit and Jesus would continue to work among them for another season. That book of Acts is witness to this digging about and fertilizing. Acts chapter number 2, Peter stands on the day of Pentecost after the miraculous speaking in tongues and says, This is that whack at the roots. This is that which the prophets have prophesied of. The speaking in tongues of chapter 2. The lame men walking in Acts chapter 3. The testimony of Peter and John before the Sanhedrin in chapter 4. The death of Ananias and Sapphira. And the miraculous release of the apostles in Acts chapter number 5. The testimony and martyrdom of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7. The conversion of the Samaritans of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9. The conversion of Cornelius in Acts number 10. Miracle after miracle after miracle, wonder after wonder, sign after sign. The book of Acts is that digging about Israel, is that digging about the fig tree of God, is that first, and then the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the book of Acts could rightly be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit rather than the Acts of the Apostles. All through the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is working. In the midst of Jerusalem, fertilizing, tenderizing the hearts of the witnesses to the extraordinary events that are taking place. In fulfillment of this parable slash prophecy, to be honest with you, the Trinitarian Most High God poured out all the divine influences of heaven in extraordinary fashion throughout the book of Acts to loosen the heart soil of the Jewish nation to no avail. No avail. It's interesting to note that as scholars deem the end of the book of Acts with the imprisonment of the Apostle Paul in Acts, Acts 28, as it ends, we're right around 68 A.D. Titus came in 70 A.D. Just As Jesus predicted in our parable, the tree had fallen. Does not God, the Holy Spirit, do the same in this sinful world? Does not the Word of God and the law of God cut at the root system of the believing heart, an unbelieving heart? Does not the Holy Spirit come in conviction of sin, pointing the sinner to a Savior and that produced? and produce fruit worthy of repentance that Jesus is so concerned about in this parable. Does not the Holy Spirit still birth new life in the hearts of those who are once dead in trespasses and in sins? If you're here today and you're lost, oh lost sinner, listen. Harden not your heart. Let the blows of God's law loosen the conscience and show you your desperate need. Let the Holy Ghost of God lift your frightened head filled with the dread of coming judgment and point it to Calvary where the bleeding Lamb of God bears your sin punishment on the tree. See the ransom of God and repent. And repent. Don't let God the Holy Ghost brandish the glistening axe of judgment any farther. Come and believe. Trust Christ. To us here today, church of God, you that believe, are you not in desperate need of the wine dresser to impose His work on your heart and life? The Puritan John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress addressed this fig tree in one of his sermons. Listen to what he said. Barren fig tree, see how the Lord Jesus by these very words suggesteth the cause of thy fruitless soul. The things of this world lie too close to the heart. Earth within its things have bound up thy roots. Thou art an earthbound soul. Bunyan As has Jesus the caretaker addressing the owner, the father. Lord, I will loosen his roots. I will dig up the earth. I will lay his roots bare. My hand shall be upon him by sickness, by disappointments, by cross providences. I will dig about him until he stands shaking and tottering. Until he be ready to fall. Bunyan goes on. Thus I say Deals the Lord Jesus oftentimes with the barren professor. He diggeth about him. He smiteth one blow to his heart. Another blow to at his lusts. A third at his pleasures. A fourth at his comforts. Another at his self-conceitedness. Thus he diggeth about him. This is the way to take bad earth from the roots. And to loosen the roots from the earth. Oh, barren fig tree, see here and care, see here the care, the love, the labor, and way which the Lord Jesus, the dresser of the vineyard, is fair to take with thee if happily thou mayest be made fruitful. You know what? The reality is, church, that you're not a tree. You're not a tree. The tree has no other choice but to. Yield to the shovel of the vine dresser. The tree has no other choice than to allow the dresser to lay down fertilizer around it. But you, on the other hand, and me, we can resist. You can excuse and summon your inner lawyer to argue your case before, uh, for being just all right you can look down the pew next to you and say, well, I'm no, I'm no different than they are and I'm no different than this person and I, I, I'm just as good as anyone else. I, I'm just as good as, as their state. Uh, you're, uh, you're, I'm not just mu- much that different from them. There's no sense in getting all worked up and wrapped up in this church stuff and this church thing to get so excited and so enamored with the Bible that you look like a fruitcake to everybody around you. That's that powerful eye that looks around and doesn't look inwardly. May I warn you that you are living on borrowed time. If, if, if God fail you and stand you before the judgment seat of Christ where your works as a servant of God will be tried by fire, you will only present wood, hay, and stubble before His sovereign eyes to be saved so as by fire. Paul, in the Corinthian letter, he talks about that judgment seat of Christ. I'm not talking about salvation. My salvation settled in my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But I am talking about being a servant. Paul gives the idea that there will be some anguish at the judgment seat of Christ. No. Let your prayer be that of Robert Hawker. And this is what spurred, this is what spurred on this whole message. Listen to what he said. Oh precious, precious Jesus. Suffer me to be no longer unfruitful in thy garden. Do, Lord, as thou hast said, dig about me, pour upon me all the sweet influences of thy Holy Spirit, which like the rain and the sun and the dew of heaven may cause me to bring forth fruit unto God. Let this parable smite our hearts. Oh, God, I want to bring fruit. Yes, Lord. Loosen my roots from worldliness and self-complacency. With mighty blows, free my roots to reach toward You. Remove every stone of fear, every doubt and apathy that prevents me from growing and producing fruit for You. Enrich my life with the sweet control of the Holy Spirit, send reviving winds to blow across my cold heart, emblazon me with love and desperation for You. Oh God, I repent. Take over once again and have Your sweet way in my heart and life. Let that be our prayer. Oh God, do what it takes, as painful as it is, to chop worldliness away from me, to give me vision for heaven and the day in which I'll be called to count as your servant. Lastly, the pleading overseer, the plan to offer quickly, very quickly, the perilous outcome. You notice verse number 9. If you read verse number 10, completely different scene. Which means that Jesus gave this parable with no conclusion. The story is not written. We get no view of the following year. We get no view of the pains that the the overseer took to, to produce fruit in the tree. It's left blank. The end is unwritten. For the Jews, the conclusion can be drawn from history. The Roman general Titus came and destructed power and leveled the city of Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, it is well believed that as people were in the temple, Worshipping God with their sacrifices. The temple was toppled on top of them. Crushing them. And their very blood mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. Just as Jesus had said. But for you. if You're here today and you're lost. You don't know the Lord Jesus. You've never been born again. You have lived in the nurture of of gospel witness for so long. I was talking to my dad the other day and we were talking about the Joshua Project, a website that tells all of the communities around the world that have yet to hear the gospel. Do you know there are people, 2,000 years later, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, there are people that still have not heard the gospel. All around the world. Hey, but that's not you. That's not you. You, you live in a in a gospel-rich world, a community, you can't turn the TV five channels without hearing somebody talking about Jesus. You can't hit seek on the radio dial without it landing somewhere where somebody's got a Bible telling about what Jesus has done. You live in a rich, a gospel-rich uh, 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 environment. You backslidden church member, for you hard-hearted child of God, This parable is unconcluded. You're in a dangerous place. Living on borrowed time. Defenseless as to your fruitless condition. Come. Repent. Change your mind. God today. God today. Start me on a path. Cut away. Dig about me. God do work in my life. Have your way in my life. Years ago. I heard a preacher at Temple Baptist Church. This is when they were in transition between pastors at the time. I heard this evangelist get up there and preach a message. I had my notebook with me. I, I penciled a bunch of notes from that message. At the time, I thought it was a very powerful message. It spoke to me. I mean, this must have been 10 years ago at least. And uh, I could still sense myself there and, and, uh, and some of the things he said. But I went over those notes and, and I, you know, to be honest with you, I was anxious to find them because I knew I was going to preach on this. I wanted, I wanted somebody else's outline. To be honest with you, <laughs> something a little bit easier, you know, at least put some meat on theirs or take some meat off and preach it. But uh, I looked through those notes and, you know, to be honest with you, it was very poor exposition. He didn't really talk about the interpretation of the parable to the people before him. He, he never spoke about that. His applications were, I mean, as far as my notes go, they were pretty, pretty weak. The emphasis except for one thing. And I forgot it. I was going to bring it this morning. At the end of the message, toward the end of the message, he, he walked over into the choir loft and reached behind there and he, he picked up two implements. I, so vivid in my mind. He had an axe in one hand and a shovel in the other. I meant to bring him this morning. I'm terrible at this kind of stuff, but I, I was going to copy his and do it, but I didn't. Hey, Imagine, I've got an axe in one hand and i got a shovel in the other. You choose. You choose. Which one you want. Do you want to be failed? Whatever your case may be, just like the Jews failed into destruction, lost sinner, failed into eternal hell, failed under the judgment of God? Or do you want to be dug about and respond to Respond to the prompting and to conviction of the Holy Spirit, drawn to Jesus and admitting your sin and embracing Christ as your bloody sacrifice to pay your sin debt. Church member, church, us, do we want to be plucked from our lampstand? You remember what I talked about last week in uh, Revelation chapter 2. The church at Ephesus that lost their first love, he said, repent lest I come and remove your candlestick. Remove your witness from among the people. Church, it's the the axe or the shovel. Which one do you want? What do you want, church? Do you want us to be plucked up? Or do you want him to come tend to us? Don't let your inner lawyer escape right now. Well, I'm doing pretty good, Brother Ronnie. I'm doing all right. No, you're not. You know as well as I do, even if you are, even if you are at the epitome of, of where you've never been in your Christian life and your walk with the Lord, you can always produce more fruit. Now I'm not here picking on anybody, but us as a church, God help us to be a productive church. God help us to bear fruit. God do what you need to do to make us fruitful. Don't fail us. Don't take this, don't take this light of testimony away from here. What about you, Christian? Believer, my heart. Oh God, I pray that you would that you would come and you would you would make application, that you would cut my worldly tie, free my earthbound roots to reach to heaven. Free the day we reach up to you. Oh Holy Spirit, come with your sweet influences, take the word of God and, and make it have life in my life. Help me to be obedient unto you. Fill me with Your Spirit. Lead me. Guide me. Let me bear fruit. The choice is yours. Either allow the Holy Ghost of God to work in your life or to embrace the fact that any moment you'll be whisked away into a fruitless state to stand before the eyes of the Holy God. The choice is ours. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed and every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. I thank you for your parable, for your words. My heart's been chastened as we have labored and prayed and reflected on this passage. God, don't let that be me. Don't let me be one that is trying your patience, that's living on borrowed time. Let not that flashpoint come in my life where you resort to violence to cut me down. Oh, God. God, I pray, I pray that your sweet influences of your Holy Spirit would work in my heart to produce the fruit that would please you, that you desire. God, may you do that in all of our hearts. If there's any here lost, they don't know the Lord Jesus, they've never embraced you, whether at this altar or at this seat, I pray that they would call upon the name of the Lord. They would confess that they are a sinner worthy of the judgment of God the perishing of John 3:16 but they would call upon you who in great love sent your son to die for them on the cross and they would call upon the name of the Lord and believe upon him and be saved for us that do know you god let this chase in our hearts let us be about seeking your work let us be yielded to the cutting of your act of cutting of your Shovel, the probing of your Holy Spirit, the sweet influences of conviction. Oh God, work among us. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.